You're listening to Work Tape, episode 91. Another edition of the Work Tape Podcast. It's your boy Money Mitchell, Isaac Rubin Grover. Hello. Glad you guys could join us for today. And uh, we're going to be bookending a little bit of a mini series we've been doing on some of our favorite producers. And this gentleman has been mentioned on the podcast quite a bit, just in passing and in relation to other topics because he is just a producer who has covered a wide spectrum in regards to rock, electronic, and ambient music. And that's uh, one Mr. Brian Eno out of England. And Brian Eno is somebody who, even for myself being a musician, I'm heavily inspired by the work that Brian Eno has put in on the producing side, especially with just some of the bands and talent that he has produced over the last three to four decades. I mean, you read through the discography and the stuff that he's been responsible for, and it's just insane. It it reads kind of just like, you know, a checklist of great rock and electronic albums. I mean, most notably, one of the early career breaks was, um, as a producer anyway, in the rock space, was definitely with the Talking Heads. I believe Brian Eno was responsible for Remain in Light, which is kind of one of the definitive Talking Heads albums. One of my favorite albums, actually. That seems to be the critics' favorite. Well, I mean, it's it's really good. So... <laughs> um it really is. Okay, so I'm biased to 77, and I think that's why. I know it's probably not the one people talk about the most, mm-hmm. but 77 is such a good record. I'm like, oh, I love that record. But no, uh, I think Remain in Light is, it was definitely groundbreaking, the format of it and the tracks. I think, and this is just, maybe I will get crucified for this because I don't dislike Remain in Light, but I felt it was talking heads experimenting with more kind of like what EDM would turn into, you know, when you think about it, talking heads with remain in light would hugely influence EDM and trance Mm -hmm. when you listen to it. Yeah. It's very repetitive, which I don't mind repetitive, but I liked the variation of the earlier records. Sure. And so I think remain in light kind of struck me the wrong way, but the bass lines are amazing. I mean, it's kind of hard because it's really not a bad album at all. It's really good. But I think the expectations going in were way different when I listened to it. Right. Well, I don't think that remain in light is as mainstream as like speaking in tongues is, though. No, definitely not. It definitely struck a balance between mainstream, but kind of still it's still talking heads, you know, like. Yeah. At the time, who who are they? <laughs> right. Which, speaking in tongues, is a great 80s pop record. And, you know, that was kind of, you know, the talking heads, like, really cementing themselves in the 80s. And I feel like, as far as bands that transitioned from the 70s to the 80s, I would say the talking heads actually did it pretty gracefully. Yes, they did. In regards to that transition, I mean, you look at Pink Floyd, for example. And that was not really the case. No, no, it wasn't. (laughs) And I think a big part of that 
was because, you know, I mean, even Remain in Light, I think, was, uh, yeah, 1980, like right at the start of the 80s. And yeah, I mean, Brian Eno, his ear for production, too, in the way that certain soundscapes that Brian Eno chooses from his background in ambient music, too, um, because that's the big thing that I feel like, well, most true music like aficionados know of Brian Eno's ambient stuff. But Brian Eno is huge for the ambient electronic, you know, movement. So it makes a lot of sense for you to make the connection of Remain in Light to EDM or electronic dance music because, you know, Brian Eno with the ambient stuff kind of laid some grounds for that too. I mean, personally, I hear more of Brian Eno's influence in something like Aphex Twin, or maybe even at points, Jay Dilla, just kind of with some different types of soundscapes and whatnot. But I mean, definitely more like Aphex Twin or even like... Well, definitely Afrobeats too. The classic Afrobeat sound. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. I I would actually say that that was a a big thing with Remain in Light, that opening track. I think it's Born Under Punches or something. Yeah, yeah, Born Under Punches, yep. Yeah, that's definitely like Afrobeat-type rhythm, for sure. It's a really infectious groove. I was kind of amazed when I heard it the first time. that I was just like, wow, like this is quite a groove for a new wave post-punk band to be making stuff that sounds, you know, like very Afro-influenced, you know. So, um, and they pulled it off well. And I mean, a big part of it is with the Talking Heads, of course, is, is David Byrne, too, in his eccentric delivery. <laughs> Take a look at these. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's that kind of thing. And of course, you know, Once in a Lifetime, too, which is a great song, albeit very odd, but it's a great song, nevertheless. Odd always worked to their benefit. But Brian Eno also was really huge for cementing U2 as well. I actually didn't know that he was responsible for Unforgettable Fire until I kind of looked into it a little bit more. I thought that he didn't really start working with them until like Joshua Tree. But no, he's actually responsible for Unforgettable Fire as well, which is rated by many as one of the best U2 albums. Yep, I second that. I would say it's actually kind of a fan favorite in a way. I would say War, Unforgettable, and Joshua. Those are my three favorite. Yeah, well, that was kind of the run. That was kind of like the, you know, the three album run. People always associate, you know, great bands or artists with, if you can name three albums continuously in their discography that were great, then they, you know, constitute like it's a three album test supposedly. Well, Boy in October, I don't know how you feel about those. Those weren't really my favorite, but you know. Yeah, I, I think your assessment's good. I think with, uh, what did you say? Bad, Unforgettable Fire and Joshua Tree? War, Unforgettable and Joshua. Oh, War. Oh, Bad is the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking of, <laughs> I was thinking of Michael Jackson for some and reason. Michael Jackson's bad. <laughs> yeah, which was an 80s record. Right. Uh, no, War, that's right. I think War, Unforgettable and Joshua Tree is really, I think, you 2 at their best. I think that with War and Unforgettable Fire, it's more of the protest music. There's more 
of kind of a political kind of undercut with their songs. I mean, Sunday Bloody Sunday, for example, the actual song War, you know, Bad is on that too. Of course, Prime the Name of Love, which is one of my favorite U2 songs and just one of my favorite songs in general. That song slams, dude. It, it really does. If you look at it structurally, I mean, it's just four chords the entire time. But the groove is so good and it's perfect at the execution of minimalism. Oh, yeah. And of course, the theming, too, of paying tribute to most notably Martin Luther King, but also other men or other people who had strived for peace, you know, as well. So and then, of course, Bono, prime Bono. It's, you know, pretty hard to beat prime Bono before he started, you know, preaching at his shows. That was the best Bono. Joshua and pre Joshua is the best Bono. Absolutely. And, you know, Sunday Bloody Sunday, too, is another example of that as well, where it's just like, it's a great groove, but it has a message, too, behind it. Most notably with that one, the turmoil in Ireland um, with the Irish Republican Army and all that. So, uh, but anyways, Brian Eno, in his production of things, his production always sounds really crisp and it sounds big. But it's not like overdone. You know, we talked about Rick Rubin last time, who Rick Rubin's music sounds very big as well. But of course, we had mentioned with Rick Rubin that the big problem was he mixed it way too loud or mastered it way too loud. And it resulted in what would have been a great recording, unfortunately, being clipped and compressed. And so, you know, unfortunately, you know, Rick Rubin was behind some great songs, but sometimes they are not the best to listen to because of the way that they were mixed and mastered. But that's never the case with Brian Eno. The the levels are great. And I know that that's probably because, once again, it's of the era, so to speak. But I do think that with Brian Eno's real closeness to ambient and electronic music, I think that that has a play in how he does his mixes as well, to where he seems like someone who's kind of a little bit of like an audio nerd who just happens to make music. He's meticulous. Brian's style is very clean and it's it's pristine. I don't think it's too bright per se, but he likes a bit of sheen and shimmer a little bit, just a little bit of sparkle to make it sound uh, refined. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And I mean, to have as much relevance as he does for the last, you know, three, four decades. And, you know, what's kind of sad is that he only just recently got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Just very recently, like in 2019, I think. That's weird to me. Yeah, it's well, I mean, but I mean, if you look at like, there's a lot of bands that are very deserving of an entry in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that have not gotten in yet or had recently just gotten in. Actually, come to think of it, um, with his electronic music, Brian Eno, I guess, was probably a big influence to like Depeche Mode, too, now that I think about it, with Depeche Mode putting out a recent album. I, I would say that Depeche Mode was probably heavily influenced by Brian Eno and kind of like that weird, choppy, electronic sound Fun fact, we talked about Butch Vig and how he was in garbage. 
Brian Eno was actually in a glam rock group in the 70s. Roxy Music was his glam rock group. So actually, before he went in the ambient electronic direction, he was a glam rocker, which is interesting. I did not know that. And then, of course, we got to talk about the Coldplay records that Brian Eno had produced, most notably Viva La Vida. Viva La Vida and Prospects March, actually, because that was you know the extension of Viva. Yes, and I liked that extension. That was a good one. Yep. Uh, what was it? Uh, something in a glass? Was it water in a glass? Oh, glass of water. Yeah. No, I'm <laughs> forgetting my names. <laughs> No, Glass of Water is one of my Glass favorite. Of water. Yeah, I love that track. Yeah, no, so Brian Eno for Coldplay as well, just kind of like what he did with U2, I think that Brian Eno kind of gave Coldplay a big boost as well, most notably with Viva La Vida and with what I just found out now, Milo Xylito too. And we can kind of get into that a little bit more in this next particular episode. So once again, this has been the Workday Podcast. Money Mitchell, Isaac Groove and Grover. And uh, we'll do part two of Brian Eno and Coldplay. And uh, yeah, peace. Yeah, don't miss Coldplay. Do not miss it. Peace. <laughs>